Good morning. No, that's not what I say. I say salutations. Salutations. Because good morning, if you remember, isn't very inclusive to those who aren't listening in the morning. So, salutations. I have several things to discuss with you today. And usually, when I prepare for a podcast, I go back over my daily reflections that I make each day at school, note down anything that I find especially interesting. Then I take a step back and look at those things and think, are there any natural connections between these? Sometimes there are. Today, there is not, or at least no obvious connections. So I guess this episode is going to be a bit like a list of bullet points. But I think each thing is worth mentioning. So without further ado, the first thing I wanted to discuss today is teaching something versus exposing your students to it. Now, of course, if you teach something and they learn it, they have been exposed to it. But it's the same isn't true the other way around. So you could potentially expose your students to a question or an idea or a concept, which is perhaps beyond them. You've no hope really of teaching them that idea uh, on that day in that lesson. But was it still worth showing them it and exposing them to it? Now, this question has come up for me in particular recently because I teach a top set year 10. They're very capable mathematicians and I've been pushing them really hard. I've been putting some really hard questions in the starters. Now, with hindsight, this was a bit of an issue because the starters would end up taking quite a long time. Um, and I think some students were a bit fried by the end of the starter. So I have kind of reined it in a bit now. But my narrative with these really hard starters was that you may not understand all of it. And you may not be getting all the marks that are up for grabs with these questions. But it's good to be exposed to them. And it's better to see them and struggle with them now in year 10 so that in year 11 next year, when it's game time, these sorts of questions will seem a little less scary. That's what I told my students. That's what I told myself. And I wanted to put it out there to hear people's thoughts, because I think that these questions might seem a little less scary in the future if when students are first exposed to them, the student can at least make some progress. They can perhaps pick up one or two marks out of six, or they understand a few things, they can see a few connections. It makes them feel just a little competent, maybe not fully competent with respect to these questions, but just a little bit. Now, what about the students in the class who are completely confused, completely lost? Does exposing those students to these sorts of questions help them? And I'm not so sure. It could, in fact, even plant the seed for some sort of maths anxiety. Because I'm thinking that perhaps in the future, if they see that question again, they might think, oh, God, I've seen this question before and I didn't have a clue what was going on last time. I'm not going to have a clue what's going on this time. Oh, this is awful. This is a miserable experience. Maths is making me anxious. So I think this idea of exposing students to content that's perhaps a bit beyond them 
works if it's only a bit beyond them. If it's miles beyond them, perhaps it's not such a good idea. But I would be interested to hear your thoughts. I guess it depends largely on the resilience of the students and on your narrative. I guess if you set it up like, here's a really hard question, and one day in the future, we're all going to be able to answer this question, that might be a good thing. Especially perhaps if you have a whole unit of work working towards answering that sort of question. So building up all the relevant skills incrementally and then return to the really hard question at the end of the unit and say, look, this makes sense now. Perhaps that would be a better way of doing it. Anyway, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. So is it a good idea to expose students to to content that is just that little bit beyond them in terms of well, to be honest, I don't even think that's controversial. I think, yes, we do need to expose students to content that's beyond them. That's the only way you're going to encourage growth and learning. But in this case, I've been showing students questions that in some cases is probably quite far beyond them. So is there any utility to doing that? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Second thing I'd like to discuss briefly. So I had been teaching. Finding the median from a frequency table to my year 11 class. I'm not a big fan of this topic. In the past, I've always stumbled over my explanations at a crucial point, and I'm kind of relying really on the students figuring it out for themselves because my explanation isn't fully sufficient. Perhaps that can be a good thing. It's good to encourage students to figure things out for themselves, but that should never be because I don't know how to explain it. It should be because I've deliberately left a hole, perhaps, for the students to fill with with their own understanding. But with finding the medium from a frequency table, yeah, I would always just struggle. I would always just struggle with my explanation. But then I had a light bulb moment with my year 11s. I suddenly figured out a much easier way to teach it using cumulative frequencies. I won't go into the details, but I thought this is brilliant. Light bulb went on above my head and I'm pretty sure several of the light bulbs went on in the room and I thought this is fantastic. This is a great way to teach this topic. I can't wait to get back to the maths office at lunchtime and share this with all my colleagues, which I did. Told them the story. They're nodding along, listening. And at the end they say, Yes, that's how everyone always teaches it, which burst my bubble a little. But they congratulated me for figuring it out on my own. But had I been having these conversations with my colleagues a little sooner, I probably could have saved myself some pain in those lessons. And so I think it just drives home the fact that it's so important to maintain regular communication on these issues, on these topics these tricky topics with your colleagues. And I had thought to myself, each time I've taught that topic and struggled with it in the past, I have thought I must speak to my colleagues about this and then perhaps just forgot. But now, happy ending, I can teach that topic even though it took me a little bit longer than most to figure out how. Now, from teaching and learning to behaviour management, An interesting question occurred to me this week, or at least a question occurred to me that I thought was interesting. 
I'd be interested to hear what you think. Why does waiting for silence work? And when I say work, I mean, why does waiting for silence usually result in the students being silent? Because really, the expectation in most of my classrooms is that you should be silent unless I've invited you to talk to one another quietly about the work or unless you're answering a question from me. My students pretty much know that the expectation is that they're silent and if they're not currently being silent, if they're making noise, it's probably true that I'm waiting for them to be silent. But when you suddenly make a song and a dance about it at the front of the class, so you put your whiteboard pen down, you lean on the whiteboard, arms crossed, do a big sigh perhaps and say, I'm waiting for silence. Usually, nine times out of ten, the students are silent. Why does that work? And I had to think about it, and I think there might be a couple of reasons. I think one is that most students are fairly agreeable. If they know you want something, they're going to do their best to give it to you. So if you make it explicit that you're waiting for silence at the front, most students will, a lot of students anyway, will give you silence because it'd be awkward not to. It'd be awkward to have a teacher standing at the front of the class waiting for something that they're never going to get. That would just be a bit awkward. So to avoid that social awkwardness, students just say, OK, yeah, I'll be I'll be silent. Let's, let's give the teacher what he wants and what she wants. That's one reason. I think another reason might be that often, if lots of people are talking in the class, including the teacher, the teacher is often making the most noise, talking the loudest, because they're trying to be heard over the rest of the noise in the classroom. And if that's so, then students can almost make their own little bit of noise and get swallowed up in the rest. The amount of noise that the teacher is making is likely to cloak and disguise particular individuals who are who are making noise. And so they feel they're more likely to be able to get away with it. All the noise gets kind of swallowed up into one big sea of, of noise and to some extent they have some anonymity. Whereas if the teacher becomes silent at the front, that takes a big chunk of that noise away and it's far easier to identify individuals who are making noise. And if those individuals can be identified, they're more likely to be held accountable. They could get in trouble for making noise. So that's probably another reason, I think, that this strategy seems to work. Now, of course, there are some students who, even when you are waiting for silence at the front of the class, and every other student has become silent, some students will still make noise. My mentor in my training year would refer to all the other students as being sheep. They follow the dominant personalities in the room, and hopefully the dominant personality is the teacher. Yet every so often you get a student who isn't a sheep, who won't follow, who will do their own thing. They have a great desire to be autonomous. And they're the trickier students to win over. If you're waiting for those sorts of students to do something or to give you something, perhaps silence, you might be waiting a very long time. So I'd be interested to hear 
any strategies or techniques you might have for dealing with those students. I mean, in my limited experience, it seems to be that those are the students who you need a strong, positive relationship with. If you don't have that, little else will work. But are there any shortcuts that a newer teacher might employ to help either develop those relationships quickly or at least in the short term help manage the behaviour of those students who aren't sheep, those more domineering students? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Now, just last week, I felt that I completed perhaps a full narrative arc. So during my training year, every so often, my tutor from university would come and observe me teach, a formal observation. And there was one very memorable observation where my tutor came and observed me teach a very tricky year seven class. I think I spoke about it at length in my first podcast, my PGCE. In fact, let me just see if I can find which episode it was. Hmm. Ah, yes, I found it. So it's the episode called Weeks 30 and 31, A Day in the Hub and Other Stories. Well, one of those other stories was entitled A Smelly Observation. So my tutor came and observed me with this tricky Year 7 class, and there was an awful smell in the room. Awful. I got there slightly before the observation. I thought that a student had been sick in there. I couldn't find the source of the smell, and so we had to proceed in a stinky classroom. My mentor, bless him, did his best. He went to go and find some spray to try and cloak the smell and came back with a little bottle of perfume or something, sprayed it around and it just congealed into this sickly, farty smell. And that, in fact, is what it turned out to be. It turned out to be a fart spray. I found a, I found out a week or so later, a student told me that a student had had a fart spray. There you go. That tells you something about that class. So it was a smelly observation, but a good one. It was okay. She spoke to me afterwards and told me that her main comment was that I should challenge certain behaviours a little bit more, which to this day I'm still working on, I must say. But anyway, that same tutor just last week, so it would be coming up two years later, came and observed, again, not me, but my trainee. So this time I was the mentor in the room. Well, not really the mentor, but this was in my computer science lesson. And I've had a trainee in with me who has been gradually taking over the lessons and she's been fantastic. And this same tutor from university was back in the lesson observing this trainee. So I felt like I've almost come full circle. And thankfully, there were no smelly smells in this lesson. It was very nice to see the tutor again. And yes, I feel like I've completed some sort of narrative arc. Which, as I spoke about a few episodes ago, you don't always get that sense of resolution in teaching. There's so much going on. You're doing so many things. When something comes full circle like that, it can really mean quite a lot. Like suddenly you remember that you are on a journey and that 
you've made some real progress. But in the hustle and bustle of teaching, it can be easy to lose sight of at times. Okay, now there's a few little stories I'd like to share with you. Before that, however, my usual Patreon plea. This episode took two to three hours to produce, and I aim to produce two episodes a month. So that is around four to six hours a month that I put into this podcast. If you think that work is worth at least the price of a coffee, then please consider signing up on Patreon. As always, there's a link in the show notes and you can help me cover the cost of producing the podcast. It doesn't cost much, but any contribution is greatly appreciated. And I have also started uploading videos of my recording sessions one week before the release date of the episode. So you do get that exclusive early content as well, if that is an incentive for you. Now, on with the episode. I was teaching scattergraphs to my year sevens, and they were plotting scattergraphs. So on a scattergraph, you have two variables, perhaps height and weight, and you have some data. So you have the height and weight recorded of, I don't know, 10 people. And if someone weighs 70 kilos and they're 180 centimeters, you find 70 kilos on the on one axis go across, 180 centimetres or whatever I said, on the other axis go up, and where those two lines meet, that's where you plot the point on the scattergraph. Anyway, my students were plotting, so they had some tables with some data in, but these tables had no context. And one of the tables, the two variables were age and price. So as the age, the general trend was as the age was increasing, the price was decreasing, but there was no context. And as students were plotting this data on their scattergraphs, lovely boy put his hand up and said, sir, this data here, I said, yes, is it children? I said, I beg your pardon. He said, is it children? So as the child gets older, the price decreases. I said, well, I didn't know what to say, to be honest, initially. A bit concerned. Who's selling children in this boy's life? Very concerning. I said, no, it's, it's probably cars. As the car gets older, it's, it gets cheaper. He's like, oh, okay, fair enough. I didn't know whether to report that as a safeguarding issue. And I discussed this with my colleagues in the office at lunchtime. And they said that they too had students who asked the same question. Is it children? On the same worksheet, is it children? As the child gets older, the price of the child decreases. Incredible. Right now, I did something a couple of weeks ago that I have never done before as a teacher. First of all, I found myself at lunchtime with nothing to do. This rarely ever happens, but I found myself at lunchtime with nothing to do. And on the few rare occasions that this has happened, I've probably just sat and nattered with colleagues or scrolled on my phone. Instead, on this occasion, however, I got up, left the office, 
went to the year nine social area and hung out with some year nine students. And they were practicing their model walks, as they described it, up and down the corridor. They were treating the corridor as a catwalk and they were practicing their model walks. And they encouraged me to get involved. I made my involvement conditional on another student's involvement. I said, if so-and-so does it, I'll do it. And I knew that so-and-so would never do it. So I didn't have to do it in the end. But for about 15 minutes, I had such good fun with these students. And it was nice to be with them in a context where learning wasn't the only objective. These students were doing exactly what they wanted to do, just enjoying themselves. And I too enjoyed myself. And I hope to do that more often going forward if I find the time. Okay, and finally this week, I've had two students in the past week come up to me and say, Sir, can I show you something on my phone? Now, phones aren't really meant to be seen at my school. But if a student asks me this, I usually say, yes, go on, what is it? They get their phone out, they go into Spotify, they click on their Spotify wrapped. So this is where Spotify collects and compiles all the stuff that you've been listening to this year into a little presentation for you. It's really nice, actually. I do enjoy Spotify wrapped. And they said, sir, look. And lo and behold, the Mr. Brown podcast featured on their Spotify wrapped as their most listened to podcast. One student was in the top 4% of listeners and she was very proud and I was very happy. I was worried at first when students discovered the podcast, but it's turned out on the whole to be a very positive thing and I am very happy that some of my students listen to the podcast. So the same student who showed me his Spotify wrapped told me just a few weeks ago that he enjoys listening because it helps him understand how teachers feel. And you wouldn't have thought that students are particularly interested in how teachers feel. Or at least you might sometimes forget it. But these are little people who we're trying to teach. We are people too. And people crave personal connections. So I think it's lovely that students are listening to and enjoying the podcast. That's all I have to say today. And I'll catch up with you again in a couple of weeks time. And that'll bring us almost to the end of 2023. Bye for now.